If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 17. On this Time Change Sunday, I want to talk to you about the importance of time. When we started the new year, we took a break in our study of the book of Revelation, and we're doing some different topics. Next Sunday morning, my dad's going to be preaching a sermon on how God disciplines us. And so I look forward to that. And then two weeks from today, we're planning on getting back into our study of Revelation. That'll be on March the 22nd. And uh, we'll pick up in Revelation chapter 15 at that time. But today, I just felt that it would be good for us to, uh, as we're doing different topics on these Sunday mornings, to, to think for a few moments today about the gift of time and the importance of time. It may be, in fact, it probably is, that time is our most valuable possession. And it's something that so many times we we take for granted. In Acts chapter 26, we read a very, very interesting passage of Scripture here. Did I say 26? I'm sorry, I mean chapter 17, verse 26. I'm sorry. The lack of uh, the time things mess me up, I guess. But in chapter 17 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul is talking to some people who don't know the Lord. And he's explaining to them how Jesus Christ can change their lives. And in verse number 26, here's what he said. He said, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so the Bible is saying here that before we were ever born, God determined the time that we would live. In other words, had God wanted you to have lived in the 1600s or the 1700s, you would have been born back then. Or if, if, if he wanted you to live in the 18th century or the 19th, you would have been born then. But here we are in the time and the day in which we're living. And not only has God chosen our times, but it says he's chosen the boundaries of our dwellings. And so it is God's will not only that we live at this particular time, But God has chosen that we live here, where we are at this particular time. And so that means that it is God's will for those of us who are members of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, to be at this church at this time. We are here by divine appointment. In the Bible, there's a phrase we read in the Old Testament that talks about a time such as this. And so God, for you, where you live who your family is, where you work, here we are in our church, we are at God's place and we are in God's time. And Paul said, I I think it's very important that we understand that before we were born, God determined where we would live and this is indeed our time. Now, as we think about time, you hear a lot today about time management and spending your time wisely and time is passing by or Time is is going by quickly. I want to just give you some thoughts to jot down today. And even if you don't write them down, I wish you would just think about this because I think time is so very important. First of all, I think it's important when we think about time that we recognize the fleeting nature of time. Time really is passing by and time is moving very, very quickly. We see it in all aspects of life. For example, we see it in the world of sports. When I came on staff here back in 1995, if your mind can go back 25 years and and get back in the sports world at that time, the Houston Rockets were on top of the NBA. And the greatest players on that team then were, were Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. 
Mario Eli and Sam Cassell. And if you remember that that team, coached by Rudy T, won back-to-back NBA championships. And all over the city of Houston, those were our players. Well, time went by. Those players retired. The Yao Ming era came to the Rockets. And then he retired. And now we have James Harden and Russell Westbrook. But what I'm saying is the players who were the king of the hill, who were the champions of the league 25 years ago, are now long retired, and nobody is, is really, even though we remember them with fondness and we're grateful for them, they're not, the, they're not the players that are on the scene today. I think about the Astros. When I came to Houston, the, to Pasadena, in 1995, the, the Astros were uh, being led by Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. Those were the, the be- best players on the team, and everybody loved and still loves those players. But those guys have been replaced by Jose Altuve and and George Springer and the guys that we have playing now. And so what I'm saying is the players who were on top of the the Astros world 25 years ago are not there anymore. They've retired. What has happened? Time, the fleeting nature of time. Yesterday's heroes uh, become... uh, not, I wouldn't say forgotten, but they're not the heroes of today. And then I think about in the sports world, it's even more obvious in the sports world. 25 or so years ago, our team was the Houston Oilers. Not only have those players gone, the franchise is gone, the team is gone, moved to Tennessee, and they became the Tennessee Titans. But those uh, great Oilers teams with uh, Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini, and those, they're, they're all gone. And even the Texans now, you know, when they started out in the early 2000s with the, with the team, everybody was so excited. We've got an NFL team back in Houston, and so we're all cheering for the Texans. And, and Andre Johnson and J.J. Moses were two of the early players for the, the team. Even they have retired. Think about that. The Texans are a relatively new team in the NFL And even the players that started with them have gone. And they've been replaced now by DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt and and others. And so what I'm saying is in the world of sports, you see that those who were on top of the world just a few years ago are now being replaced or they have been replaced by others. Time is fleeting in nature. Somebody has said that fame is like a sandcastle on the beach. It's very impressive to look at. Until the time, until the tide comes in and takes it out. And so that's just how life is. Now, we see the fleeting nature of time not only in the world of sports, but we see it in our own lives today. Did you know that the odds are in less than 15 years, somebody else will be living in your house? I read this past week that the average American lives in their house for 13.3 years. So before you know it, somebody else is going to be living in your house. Kind of makes you not want to repaint it this summer, doesn't it? Just say, hey, I'm going I'm to let the next guy take care of that. In, in less than six years, somebody will probably be driving your car. If you bought a new car yesterday, did you know in six years, more than likely, somebody will be driving that car? Because the average American uh, drives their car for exactly six years. And even we think about our jobs and we love our jobs, all of us, that we, at least we hope we do, because if you don't like your job, that's a, that's a bad life. So hopefully we like our jobs. But did you know that the average American keeps his or her job slightly over four years? And so the odds are in four years, somebody else will have your job. It is, a, it is an interesting thing that time just keeps 
moving on, and time keeps uh, passing by. It is fleeting in nature. Now, I wrote down some verses. As I was thinking about this, I want to just read these to you today on the fleeting nature of time. And just listen to what the Bible says. In Psalm 39, in verse 4, the psalmist said, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. And we are frail, and life is, is so very uncertain. I, I should have counted before I came out here today how many funerals that I have spoken at so far in 2020. And it was, it's a, since we're so early in the year, it's a larger number than I wish it was. And all those funerals are not for older people. They're really not. I did a funeral a few weeks ago. There was, there's a young man. Doesn't go to this church, but his mother and grandmother go here. He lived on the other side of town, 27 years old, lived out by the Galleria. And one Saturday, he had gotten in his car. He was driving not far from his house to get his hair cut. And while he was doing that, another driver on the road had either a seizure or passed out or something happened, lost control of the vehicle, hit the car, and the 27-year-old young man was killed just like that. And so the family said, John, can you speak at the service? And I did. And when I was meeting with the family, it's an interesting little tidbit to that story, I was asking about that young man's relationship with God. Was he saved? Did he know the Lord? And they said that he did. And they said, in fact, in recent days, he had kind of had a rededication of his life to the Lord. Of, this is very interesting to me. Through the music of Kanye West. He had started listening to Kanye West music. So we believe he's, we know he's with the Lord. But still, at 27 years old, you just don't think that's going to happen. Listen to this verse, James chapter 4 and verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And so on a cold day, you go outside, you breathe, you can see your breath, and then in a few seconds later, it's gone. The Bible says that's how your life is. Listen to this one. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. The Bible says, do not boast about tomorrow. And don't we all boast about tomorrow? Don't we all talk about the things we're going to do next month, next year, five years, ten years from now, when we retire, when we have enough money to do what we want to do? It says, don't do that. Don't boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring forth. And so we don't know really what tomorrow holds. We have to always say, if it's God's will, I'll do so and so. Psalm 90 and verse 12, in light of all the thoughts I've just read, the scripture says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so Time is fleeting. Time is passing by. Time doesn't stand still. We saw that yesterday when we moved our clocks forward and we literally saw time just flying by right in front of us. But that's kind of a microcosm of how life is today. Now, when you think about the fleeting nature of time, or at least when I think about it, it does two things for me. First of all, it keeps us from getting too attached to this world. In other words, when we realize that we're not always going to live in our house. We're not always going to drive this car. We're not always going to have this job. We're not even always going to be here. It keeps us from getting too attached. It reminds us that we are stewards of the things that God has given us, but we're not the owners. We don't own anything. God owns everything, but we're to t- we are to paint our house. We are to keep up with our car because we are the stewards of that. And it also, it keeps us from taking ourselves too seriously. I think if we thought that we were always going to be doing what we're doing now or always whatever, that we might take ourselves a little too seriously. But if we can just remember we're just passing through, 
Uh, we're not going to be here forever. It keeps us from getting a big head. It keeps us from taking ourselves too seriously. And so the first thing today is just remember the fleeting nature of time. Time doesn't stand still. Now, you still with me? Say amen. I think you hopefully are. Second thing is don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. We only have a limited amount of time. In fact, it's interesting. In Psalm 139, the Bible says that before we were ever born, God determined exactly how much time we would have. God determines that some will live to be 27, some will live to be 57, and some might live to be 97 or even older than that. But did you know that before you were born, God determined the length of your life? interesting to think that God made that decision before we were ever born. We don't always understand that, but we know that God has made that decision. So we have to say, we don't want to waste our time. We want to guard our time and invest our time in things that really matter. We want to spend our time wisely. Let me give you a scripture verse to write to jot down. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, we read this little expression. It says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time, that is to, to spend your time wisely, not just by being busy. Motion isn't progress. Just because we're busy and running in a thousand different directions, that doesn't mean we're actually accomplishing anything. But we need to redeem our time and, and to guard it and to spend it wisely. Let me give you some ways. You might want to jot these down. Some things that we can do to keep us from wasting our time and to help us to spend, whether we have 50 years left or 60 or 70 years left or whether we only have two or three years left that we could spend our time wisely. Number one, I would encourage you to guard your time with God. The time you spend each day with God, you guard that time. This past week, I spent some time with a young man in our church. He's, he's actually uh, a, an intern in our student ministry, a fine young man, graduated college, and now he's in seminary and and, uh, and just a fine, fine young man. In fact, the reason we were together last week, we have a, a member of our church who, who just became the police chief of the city of Laporte, Steve Deerdorf, longtime member of our church. And Steve had asked me some, a few weeks ago, he said, I'm becoming the chief. Could you ride down to Laporte and pray the prayer, the invocation? Uh, in my swearing-in ceremony, which I was honored and certainly I wanted to do that. But I said to our uh, member, a young man named David Tate, I said, David, would you like to ride with me down to the uh, LaPorte Police Department on Thursday and just you'll get to see a part of, of life that you won't see just sitting in the offices of the building. It's part of the community. And he said, yes, I'd like to go out there. Interestingly enough, when Chief Deerdorf was giving his little speech right after he was sworn in, he said, you know, I've been with this department for 37 years. And he said, in fact, I was only a few weeks away from retiring. He said, I've been counting down. And he said, I've been telling all my coworkers I only have three more Mondays, two more Mondays. And when he had about two more Mondays, the city manager called him and said, hey, we'd like to make you the chief of police. And he said, well, I'm thinking about retiring. And he said, well, I wish you'd become the chief. And, and so he did. But in his little speech, he said something very interesting. He said he was here at First Baptist last Sunday, and he said in his, uh, in his Sunday school class, and he was giving his speech, when he said in my Sunday school class, he looked over at me and said, or our connection group, whatever we're supposed to call it up there, and uh, he said, our teacher, Steve Robeson is the teacher of that class, he said they were teaching a verse last week that said, to whom much is given, much shall be required, and he said, my wife punched me during that, 
and said, I believe that verse is for you because you're fixing to become the chief and you've been given a great responsibility and a lot is required of you. And Steve said, I had already thought the same thing. So he was talking about his connection group, his Sunday school class, last week when he's being sworn in to, play, to be the chief of a uh, of, of police department. I thought it was an amazing thing. But anyway, David and I were leaving there and we were just talking and talking about that experience and how great it is to have a, a man of his character uh, in that position. But we were also talking about what I'm talking to you about now, about guarding your time with God. And he said, you know, John, he said, I'm going to Dallas Theological Seminary. They have an extension here in Houston. And he said, so I'm busy with schoolwork. He said, I'm working a few hours a week up here at First Baptist. So I'm working with the high school and college students. And I just love what I'm doing. He said, but I'm, I'm in a real busy season of my life. He said, but I believe God's taught me something. He said, what God has taught me is that on my busiest days, if I will devote extra time to Bible reading and prayer, then instead of getting behind, I'll actually get ahead. Now, this young man's probably 22 or 23 years old, and he's telling me this. And I said, well, I, I could not agree with you more on that. I said, I've noticed that in my life. And he quoted Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, and I had not heard this quote in a long time. He said, you know, John, Martin Luther said that there are some days when he wakes up with so much to do and he's got so many responsibilities. Here's a great quote from Martin Luther. Luther said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours alone with God in prayer. And I'm not suggesting that, that you or I or any of us spend three hours in prayer unless you feel that you, you should do that. It certainly would be a great thing to do. But the princ- I'm not necessarily promoting three hours. What I am promoting is the principle of guarding your time with God and making that the priority of your day. W.A. Criswell, maybe the most influential pastor in American history for over 50 years, pastored First Baptist Church in Dallas. And he had a little way that he lived his life. And he said to the congregation there, pray for me in the mornings because my philosophy of life and ministry is that I devote my mornings to God. Bible reading, prayer, sermon preparation, the mornings are devoted to God. And he encouraged all the uh, us who look to him as a, a role model. He said, guys, set your mornings aside for God. And if you'll do that, when you stand up on Sunday to preach, you'll have something to say. Whereas if you're just a man about town and you're never alone with God, you won't have anything to say. So I would encourage you, whether you pray in the morning or whether you pray at night or whether you pray for three hours or for 30 minutes, I would encourage you to guard your time with God and to make that the priority of of your day. When I was preparing this sermon, I thought about my own life and I thought about... uh, time that I spend with God in Bible reading and in prayer. And I wrote this down in my notes, and and I believe as best as I know my own heart that that it's absolutely true. I feel this way. Here's what I wrote. The time I spend alone with God is more important to me than the time I spend serving God. And I really feel that way. In other words, if God said to me, John, you have one hour left to live, and on your last hour on earth, I'm going to give you some options. You can preach a sermon. You can watch a television show. You can talk to somebody on the phone. Or you can pray and read the Bible. As best as I know my own heart, if God did it like that for me, I think I would say, God, I would rather spend my last hour on earth alone in your presence. Because when an hour's up, I'm going to be with you face to face. And so what I'm saying is the time we spend alone with God 
is more important than the time we spend serving God. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to serve God. But it means this. It means if we're not spending time alone with God, when we get out there to serve God, we're going to be doing it in the flesh. And it's not going to be in the spirit. And so guard your time with God. Yet sometimes life happens and it might get interrupted and you have to change it. But that's okay. Just make up for it later in the day. Second thing I would say, and I think it's so very important. Treasure your time with your family. Treasure every moment that you have with your, uh, with your family. I was thinking as I was working on this sermon about that. And I remember back in the 1980s. Last Sunday, my dad and Jimmy and I did the talk about the old songs and the new songs. And our, our love for the old ones and for the new ones. Well, here's an old song. This is not even a hymn. This is just an old song. But I can remember back in the 1980s. Where, in the church where I was growing up. There was a lady named Martha Dobson who was a faithful member of that church. She and her husband and their family, they're all faithful members of that church. And it seemed like about two or three times a year, she would sing a solo in the morning services. And it was kind of her song, and this was the one she always sang. And I don't remember all the words, but I think I can quote the first part of that song. Here's what she would sing. And as a kid, I'm 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, but I, I, it made an impact on me so much so that, that I, I, I memorized the first part of this song. Here's how it goes. We have these moments... To hold in our hands and to touch as they sift through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone and tomorrow may never come. But we have these moments today. And so I would encourage you to treasure your time with the family. You know, many of us, in fact, probably all of us here today, some of our family has already gone to heaven. They've already gone to be with the Lord. And it's easy when that happens to say, oh man, I just wish that I had more time with with my parents or my spouse or my grandparents or even a child or a sibling. And that's just natural and normal to feel that way. And there's not anything wrong with that. But I would encourage you on this point. Don't spend so much time missing the people who have gone on to heaven that you neglect to spend time with the ones who are still here on the earth. Because I guarantee you this. All of us still have some family members and even friends on the earth who if they were taken from us today... We would be thinking, God, if I could only have them back. But I took them for granted, grieving over somebody who had already gone on. And so what I'm saying is, don't take anybody for granted. Time is passing. Time is fleeting. Time is moving on. And so treasure your time with your family and treasure your time with your friends. And then I would say another thing about time. Invest your time in things that will matter 100 years from now. I mean, so much of our time... I'm afraid, is spent just on what we want to do right now or what we think is the fun thing to do right now. But invest your time on what will matter 100 years from now. You say, well, John, what's going to matter 100 years from now? I'll tell you what will matter 100 years from now. The souls of people. The souls of your family members, the souls of your friends. And I'm saying 100 years from now because I think we all feel comfortable in our minds with saying, well, in 100 years from now, I could just as easily have said 50 years from now. Invest your time in that which will matter 50 years from now. Listen to this verse. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And so Jesus was saying, I'm on the earth. God's given me this opportunity to serve him here and to help people here. But even Jesus was saying, night is coming. And my time on earth will be over and I won't be able to do well, Jesus can do whatever he wants to. But his point is, there's the time when you can't keep 
serving God, most of us, like Jesus died, rose again, went to heaven. He's still ministering on the earth. But most of us, when our time's up, then, then our time's up. And we won't be able to do very much after that. So the night is coming. In the old King James, that phrase says, night cometh. And I know of a seminary that has on the campus of that seminary a little plaque or a kind of a statue type thing. And those are the two words on that statue. Night cometh. And it is a reminder to the students, whatever you're going to do for God, do it now. People's souls are uh, on the line. And so that's what's going to be out there and remaining 50 years, 100 years from now. And so we want to invest our lives in the souls of people. I did a funeral just yesterday for a man, 60 years of age, in perfect health as far as everybody knew. And a few days ago, he went out to mow his yard. And, of course, this time of year, it's not hot at all. Mowed his yard, came inside, sat down, and died. And completely shocked his family, devastated his family. He was not a member of this church, but his brother is. And his brother is a good friend of mine. And he said, can you speak at this funeral, which I gladly did. But when I learned what had happened at 60 years of age... Uh, and how he had died. And I asked his brother, as I was meeting with him to plan the funeral, I said, do you feel like your brother was a Christian? Do you think he had ever been saved? Because at, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. And his brother said to me, yes, he was. He said, John, let me tell you a story. He said, there were four of us kids growing up. And he said, our parents were the best parents anybody could have. He said, but when we were growing up, we didn't go to church at all. And so that was just a part, as great as our parents were, we didn't go to church. But he said, one Sunday morning, about 8 or 9 o'clock, my dad went through that the house and started beating on all of our doors and telling us kids, he said, get up, we're going to church today. Well, if you've got kids and you're not accustomed to going to church, you know that if you go beating on their door on Sunday morning, you're going to get a little pushback on that. Oh, we don't want to go to church, we want to sleep in. And... Uh, he said, no, we're going to church today. They said, Dad, we don't even go to church. He said, well, we're going today, and we're going to start going to church. So he started taking his kids to Austin Avenue Baptist Church by our old location. Pastor, Brother Nick Magalinas pastored that church for many years. Some of you came from, have come from Austin Avenue. So he started taking his kids to church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. And he said, John, after we had gone there for some time, he said it didn't happen immediately, didn't happen all at once, but he said all four of us got saved. He said, in fact, the guy I was talking to, he said, I was the last one of the four to get saved, but I got saved and I got baptized. And he said, my other three siblings got saved before I did and they all got baptized together. And he said, so as tragic as this is that my brother has died so unexpectedly, leaving three sons behind and a family who's grieving and loved him. He said, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt that my brother was saved because he had asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and to be his Savior. And I was thinking about I haven't stopped thinking about that all day yesterday. And even this morning, I'm still thinking about it. You know, I thought this. If you're a parent, a father or a mother, probably the best thing you could ever say to your kids on Sunday morning is, get up, we're going to church. And most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, you may get a little pushback, you know, from that. But that's all right. It's your house. As long as they live under that roof, they got to do what you say, right? That's how I was always brought up. And so we went to church all the time. And uh, that's just how it was. We didn't have any choice about that. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't even, you know, preacher's kids, you just don't even think about it. But if, you, if you're not accustomed to going to church, that might be something different. But he, that man got his kids up and they went to church. And uh, 
and the boy got saved. So what I'm saying is invest your soul, invest your life and your time in something that will be lasting 100 years from now, and that's the souls of men. What if that father had not said that? What if that father had said, I'm not going to church, I'm going fishing. I don't go to church on Sunday, I play golf. I don't go to church on Sunday, I watch ball games on TV. Well, had that father had that attitude, it's, it's highly likely that his son would be in hell today. But he took him to church, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. Now, I read a question that, a, that I, when I was preparing this sermon that I thought was a good question. It's a question that a pastor, and I don't know who this pastor was, but a pastor asked his congregation this question one Sunday, and I thought it was a great question. He said, if you knew that today was your last day on earth, would you spend today like you spent yesterday? Now, that's a good question. If you knew that today was going to be your last day on earth, would you spend today like you spent yesterday? Well, it makes us think, how we, what did I do yesterday, God? Would I want to do that again today, or should I do something different? The point I'm making here is that we shouldn't waste our time, that we should invest it, guard it, and, and, and use our time in things that will matter a hundred years from now. Now, you still listening? Say amen. Just making sure everybody's still awake. I know we lost an hour. Some of you are making it up right now. But uh, that's why I'm preaching long. I'm trying to give your full hour back today. But I want to give you one other thought on this because I think it would be easy to listen to this sermon on time. And here I'm talking about getting your kids in church and I'm talking about guarding your time with God and investing your time in things that matter, not just on making money or uh, something that won't, won't be around 100 years from now. I think it would be easy to listen to this and say, man, you know what? I look back on my life and I've wasted a lot of time. And I wish I could have some of those years back. There were a lot of years, you might say, that I didn't go to church. Or m- many of you, maybe even you got saved later on in lo- life. And I th- I've talked to a lot of people who get saved later in life. And they say, you know what? I just feel like I wasted the first part of my life. And I just wish I'd have got saved when I was a kid and could have been with God in the church all the way. And I just feel like I've just lost those years. I think it would be really easy for the devil to take that type of thinking and really discourage somebody and make them think, man, I I just wasted a lot of my life. Well, there may be a sense in which that's true, but let me give you a third thought. This is the final thought to write down today. Let God restore the years you may have lost in your life. Let God restore those years. The Bible says, in fact, God says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I think it's easy for all of us to look back, even if we did get saved and grew up in the church when we were young. I think it's easy still to look back and say, man, if I could have done that again or that part again. Or I, you know, I think it's easy to say that, but we have to let God restore the lost years. You say, well, John, how is God? God is a restorer, by the way. God gives it back to us. You say, how's God going to restore the years that that I've lost? Well, one of two ways. God might add more years to your life. He really might. There 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 are examples in the Bible of God lengthening people's lives. I know people, even in, in today's world, who have been through things that I think, personally, were unfair and unjust. And they never should have had to go through those things. And yet, for whatever reason, God allowed them to go through it. And yet, some of those people... God has literally restored years to their lives. I think they're older, healthier than they would have been because God has just made it up. He's added years to their life. Sometimes, though, God doesn't add the years to our life. Sometimes God adds life to our years. Let's play like that. You're 40 years old. 
and you just got saved last year. So you got saved and you were 39. So for the first 39 years of your life, you never went to church and you didn't know the Lord and you didn't read your Bible and you didn't pray and you kind of neglected that part of your life and you were focusing on, on sports or money or everything but God. And so you got saved at 39 and now you're 40 and you say, well, I, the, 30, the 39 years, you mean God's going to make me live 39 years longer than I would have lived? Maybe, but maybe not. Let's play like that your time was you're going to live till you're 75 and then you're going to die. So that was your time all along, and God's not going to add any years to your life. You're going to die at at 75. So now you're 40. You've got 35 years left, and God's not going to add any more years. You're going to die at 75. Okay, well, now let's think about this. You say, well, how's God going to restore the years to me if he's not going to add years to my life? Here's how. He's going to add life to your years. And he's going to make the remaining 35 years so full and so rich and so joyful and so peaceful He's going to restore it to you. In other words, you're going to have so much more joy in the next 35 years because of your relationship with God that those first 39 years, you're not even going going to think about that anymore. So let God restore the years that the locust has eaten. There's a poem that uh, many of you have probably heard. It's written by a lady named Linda Ellis, and the name of the poem is The Dash. I want to just read this to you today as I close, thinking about not necessarily do we have 35 years left or 50 years left or 10 years left. Only God knows that. The important thing is not really how many years we have left. The important thing is what we do with the years that we have left. And and listen to this poem. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but said that what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive down here on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters most is how we live and how we love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and to show appreciation more. And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile. Remembering that this special dash will only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? And so really the most important thing is not how many years, not how long we live. The important thing is how we live. I encourage you today in summary to remember the fleeting nature of time. It's marching on and it doesn't slow down for any of us. Also, I encourage you to treasure the time that you have with your family and friends, especially with your family. And thirdly, I encourage you, if you feel like you've lost some years back there and you can't get them back, let God make that up to you. See if he won't add some years to your life. And if he won't do that, I promise you he'll add some some life to your years. He will restore the lost years and make what you have left richer, fuller, more peaceful and wonderful than you can even imagine. Amen.